chapter 23, I want to point out to you something that Luke focuses great attention on throughout this entire chapter. And maybe you'll do like me. That's why I like a paper Bible, is that I have these I'm going to, this verse that I'm going to read in a minute, all highlighted, just a number, highlighted, because it shows you this broad um, theme that Luke is covering in this one chapter. And he's trying to say, I think I want you to pay attention to this. And so if I was to ask you, because some of you have been always reading ahead every week and you know what, what chapter 23 is about, is there a theme that you are struck by that as you read chapter 23, you're like, man, this is repeated over and over and over and over again? Anybody? I'll help you. Um, it's the idea of Jesus being king, of the kingdom of God. It's throughout the entire chapter. Look how, how Luke highlights this. I just want to show you the verses where he deals with this idea of Jesus being king. Let's start in verse 2. And as these are all for me in my Bible. They're all highlighted. The numbers are highlighted, so I go, wow, look at this throughout the whole chapter. Chapter 2, verse, chapter two, it's, uh, verse two it says, And they began to accuse him, saying, these are the ones that they've arrested him, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, which, by the way, wasn't true, and saying that he himself is a king. Look at verse 3. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Now slide down to verse 11. This is after they've arrested him and Herod before Herod. And Herod, with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now, why did they dress him in a gorgeous robe? Another gospel says they gave him a stick as a scepter, a reed. Why do you think they dressed him as a, in, a, in a gorgeous robe and gave him a reed? They were mocking him because he was saying, you say you're a king. Look at verse 37. And this is, this is at the crucifixion. His soldiers are there and they say, saying, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 38. Now there was also an inscription above him, this is above him on the cross, This is the king of the Jews. Look at verse 42. He's, behind, he's being crucified between two thieves that are dying, being killed for their crimes. And the one says, and he says, was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Look at verse 51. This is after he's died and they're burying him. And a man named Joseph of Arimathea gives his tomb for Jesus to be placed in. In verse 51, talking about Joseph. And it says, and he had not consented to their plan of action, which was to have Jesus put to death. And a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. Look at that, over and over and over and over. It all kind of centers around verse 38. Jesus, this is the king of the Jews. That's the inscription that hung above Jesus' head when they crucified him on the cross. You're saying, Mark, why is that cross in here today? So I want us to see it. That when they hung Jesus on the cross, we always think of Jesus hanging on the cross and, and it would have been brutal and ugly and, and horrif horrific. But there was a sign above him. And all the Gospels talk about, they put a sign above his head and they said, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Why of all the things that they could have written on that sign, did they write, this is King of the Jews. 
Why would that be the thing? Because that's the thing about Jesus that is the most threatening. Because if it's true, then that is a threat to everyone for all time, everywhere. If Jesus is king, in the context they lived in, that meant something. It meant that Caesar wasn't the real king. Caesar was king, all right. He was a king. But the gospel, gospel means telling the good news. The gospel message that was proclaimed by the early church was this. There's a new king in town, and his name is Jesus. There's a new king, and he's greater than Caesar. So if Jesus is king, then Caesar is not the real king. If Jesus is king, then the Jewish leaders should have listened to him and followed him. Instead, they turned him over to the unrighteous Gentiles who had him crucified. Why? Because they were jealous of him. Well, if he is king, then they need to follow him. If Jesus is king, what's it mean to you and me? If Jesus is king, the king of kings and lord of lords, then what's it mean for us? It means he's, he's king even of our life, and we must come under his rule in his reign. Putting that inscription above his head and then publicly humiliating him and killing him was their way of saying, you say you're a king, but you're no king. You're not my king, and you'll have no rule or reign over me. Now, because we have the gift of hindsight and retrospect, we know that the cross was not the end of the story. We know the grave could not hold him. We know that three days later he rose from the grave and proved that he was who he says he was and who he is, that he is king of all kings. He's a ruler of the world. He's a living son of God because he rose from the grave. And Scripture says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is king. But today and on that day, many just didn't know it or they rejected it, or they wouldn't accept it, but it's true none the same. The resurrection proves it to be true, because they killed him, but by the power of God, because he is God, he rose again, and now sits as king at the right hand of the Father. Now, the scriptures tell us that Jesus has what we call a threefold ministry, that Jesus is prophet, Jesus is priest, and Jesus is king. That as prophet, Jesus has come with a message from God. That's what a prophet does. A prophetic gift is when God tells somebody something and they share it with other people. And the Bible tells that Jesus is the prophet. That Jesus is God. And in fact, he is the message from God. That he doesn't just have a message. He is the message from God. And we look at him, we learn who God is. We learn what God is like. And we find that God ultimately is love. That's why he came. And in his love, God has come to man to rescue man from the curse of sin and death. That Jesus as prophet comes with that message. So Jesus is prophet. It says that Jesus also in his threefold ministry is priest. And a priest is one, and Jesus is one, who goes between man and God. A priest is one who makes a sacrifice for mankind, or is a go-between, between man toward God. And in Judaism, we know from, from understanding the Old Testament that once a year, the high priest would go into the temple, 
And there he offered sacrifice to God first for his own life, for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people on the Day of Atonement. Now, Jesus is a better priest than that, than the high priest. As the only perfect person, he, as priest, offers himself as the perfect sacrifice for all of mankind for all time. And not only has he given himself as the perfect sacrifice for mankind, he, as priest, also now serves as priest to continually pray for all of us. The book of Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that he lives forever to make intercession for us. That's part of his priestly ministry. So Jesus is the perfect prophet and he's a perfect priest, but that's not why they hated him. That's not why they crucified him. The inscription above his head is why Jesus was killed. It says, this is the king of the Jews. And it could say, and this is the king of the world. Jesus is king. What's that really mean? What's that really mean, not only for them 2,000 years ago when they wrote it on a piece of wood and nailed it above his head, but what's it mean to you and me today? Because Jesus is still as much a king as he was on that day. Well, first of all, it means that Jesus has a kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4, right in the beginning of his ministry, Jesus, talking about himself, proclaims this. He says, repent. What's repent mean? It means have an epiphany, have a, have a change of thinking that leads to a change of direction. So you are going the wrong way, start going the right way. You have new knowledge, so go a better way. So repent, why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It's at hand. I can, it's within arm's reach of me. It's present. And that's the message that he continued to preach throughout his entire ministry. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The real kingdom, or the kingdom rather, is real. It's as real as it ever will be, and it's right here at hand. It's functioning right now where God rules and God reigns. And that kingdom is established over every person who claims Jesus as king. So when we say yes to Jesus... We give our life to Christ. We use terms like we're born again or we're saved or I, or I align with Christ or I'm a follower of Jesus. What that implies, all of those, is that you are becoming part of his kingdom where he is king and you are under the rule of his kingdom. You are coming under the rule and reign of King Jesus. Now, I think a lot of times we don't understand that. So I want to do my best to try to show you what the kingdom of God is like. Now, I thought this was kind of funny because I came up with this illustration before I was just with Pastor Pete and Doris at, in Florida for a week. But I thought it was quite appropriate that I had a beach umbrella to come back. And you say, what in the world does this have to do with the kingdom of God? Should I start singing The Sound of Music? Some of you? No. No. Don't they do that in The Sound of Music? Don't they sing? Don't they, isn't that where they, no, that's singing in the rain. That's that what I'm thinking. Okay, I'm not a musical guy, so give me credit for the fact that I knew it was part of a musical. You say, what in the world's umbrella have to do with the, king, the kingdom of God? When I think of the kingdom of God, this is honestly my word. I have to have a picture in my brain for things to make sense. It's the way God created us. We are, we are people who live by narratives. We live by stories. We live by images. And an image communicates, a, 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 an image communicates more than words. 
if I tell you about, if, if, if Suzanne and I go on a date together, and then I tell you about the date, and I use words to tell you about the date, can I in any way honestly reproduce what happened on the date through my words? No. So the Bible tries to communicate things with words, but much of what it communicates is simile or metaphor. It's a metaphor. It's trying to communicate a thought. And the kingdom of God, if we'll get the thought in our head, it'll change how we think about our lives in the kingdom. The kingdom, this is what I think of the kingdom. This is honestly what I think of. That I live under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. Now, not reign like water reign. The reign, the control of King Jesus. That this is what it's like to be a child of God. That there is a rulership, a reigning of God. And it extends over the world, but right now it only extends. You like taking pictures of that, Josh? You think it's pretty funny, don't you? You're laughing. That it, that it extends only to, to the people right now who say yes to Jesus. Someday every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess and the rule and reign of God is going to extend over all of humanity and all of creation. All creation is going to be recreated and we're going to live under the rule. And what's it going to say in heaven? There will be no need for a son. Why? Because the presence of God will be there with us. His rule and reign will be so obvious that we don't even need a son. But in this, where we live right now, you can say no to Jesus. And most of the world has. But when you say yes to Jesus, what happens is you come under the lordship of Jesus. You come under the rule and the reign of Jesus. And so this is honestly how I think. Wherever I go, I establish the rule and reign of Jesus. So when you go to work on Monday morning... You establish the rule and reign of Jesus in that place. When I'm standing here preaching, I stand under the authority, the rule and the reign of King Jesus. He's my king and his rule and reign is over. His protection and provision is over me when I'm I'm with King Jesus. So this is what it's supposed to be like. You're going to have a hard time seeing me maybe, but bear with me. I wanted to bring a hammock up here, but I couldn't figure out how to make a hammock. Stand on a platform. Don't fall on me, baby. Oh, boy, the ground gets further lower every year, doesn't it? Getting up gets harder, too. This should be life in the kingdom of God. Because when I live in the kingdom, I live under the provision and the protection of King Jesus, and I rest in his rulership. That I don't have to be stressed or worried. Why can the Apostle Paul say things like, don't pray, don't worry about anything. What a stupid comment if the rule of King King Jesus isn't real. Don't worry about anything, just pray about everything, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Without this, it doesn't make any sense. But when you understand the rule and reign, put her sand on that thing. When you understand the rule and reign of King Jesus, <laughs> um, <laughs> when you understand it, this is the posture that you take towards life. That you are under the rule and reign of King Jesus. And so you can, you can rest in the provision and protection. So how can you say, I, I live in a bad economy and things are going bad right now. It's a good economy, but believe me, wait, wait a little while. And it will at some point be bad. It always is. It gets good, it gets bad. You say, how can you do it? 
How can I live at peace in the middle of it? Because if I live by God's ways, he tells me to put him first in all my, my tithes and my offerings. And if I do that, he'll take care of me. So what's happening is I rest in him and I do it the right way. And then when no matter what happens out there, I'm living under the rule and reign of King Jesus. And I can rest in that. You know when I stop resting? You know how I stop resting? You know how you stop resting? When you start to live like this. And you go, yeah, the rule and reign of Jesus is real. But I want to do it my way. Take any topic you want. Take sexual involvement in the world. Take the way you deal with your finances. Take how you treat people with forgiveness or unforgiveness. If you choose to not live by God's ways, which he expresses by his spirit through his word, if you choose to reject them and go against them, what happens is you take yourself outside the rule and reign of King Jesus. And therefore, you're on your own. You don't have the provision and protection of God. It's not that it's unavailable. This is why people all the time, they come to me, oh, Pastor Mark, God's been so bad to me and he doesn't love me and this is all going wrong because you're living like this. When we live like this. Now, it doesn't mean that life is all a beach when you ask Jesus in your life. He didn't say when you're living in his, in his, under his rule and reign that you're not going to have something to pray about. He says, don't worry about anything but pray about everything. Well, if you don't worry about anything, it means there's something to worry about. So you don't have to worry because why? You live under the rule and reign. Doesn't mean no problems come. It means the answer, the solution, the provision for everything is the king of the kingdom. So forever, I've tried to, when I've tried to explain the kingdom of God to people and coming to Christ, I've usually done this. You've seen me do it a, a hundred times, more than that if you've been here for a while. I always say we live our lives like this, Right? You know why I do this stuff where I repeat it over and over again? So that when you're talking to your friend, you can just go on autopilot and go, we live our lives like this. It's why I repeat the same certain key things all the time. And we're, got, you know, we're here and God's here somewhere, and I'm doing it my way. I'm Frank sinatra life. You know, I'm doing it my way. And that's the American way. It's the individualistic way. And most of you don't realize, and I don't realize, that we are often more American than we are Christian. You are more, you've been more shaped by American individualism and postmodern thinking than post-Christian thinking than you've been shaped by the gospel. And so we live with us being rule and reign. But then we come in contact and we have conflict. Here's the conflict. Jesus is king. And it makes conflict. If he's king, what am I going to do about it? And what we do is when we, when we get born again or get saved or come in alignment with Christ, what we're doing? We're doing this. We're, we're, we're taking God was somewhere down here, I'm here, and we reverse the order. He becomes the umbrella over me, the rule and reign. That's why I do it all the time. He's ruling and reigning. He's controlling. He's protecting. He's providing. But two Wednesdays ago in our Wednesday night class, I was doing this like I always do it, and I went like this. I turned my hand around, and I went, Wait. They didn't know I was having an epiphany. I was having an epiphany. I'm like, that's better. When you come into rule and reign of Christ, you come into a position of receiving. You come into a, a beach chair or an umbrella. Not an umbrella, a hammock. <laughs> a beach chair or a hammock. That that's really what the kingdom of God is like. Remember, it's like it's a, it's a metaphor. It's saying, how can I picture it in my mind 
the, Jesus is constantly saying the kingdom of God is like an oyster. The kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure. He's trying to say, let me paint the word picture. He's saying the kingdom of God is like you sitting in a beach chair in a position of receiving under the umbrella of the kingdom. I think that's how Jesus would teach it today. That that's what kingdom life is all about. And here's the reality. As a follower of Jesus, I can choose to walk outside the protection or underneath the protection of the kingdom. And how is it? Based on am I going to live my way or live his way? See, in the kingdom of God, I have to choose to live under the rule and reign of King Jesus, to choose to live his way. And I would say this, because culturally his way, just Judeo-Christian ethic, was kind of the understood ethic of right and wrong in our culture. 30 years ago and 50 years ago, it was easier to live God's way. Today we live in a world that says everything that's contrary to God's way, and it's much more of a choice today for us to choose under the rule and reign of King Jesus, to live our lives, to live our lives in every area of our lives, to live it under the rule and reign of King Jesus, live his way. And I'm not so sure that as a culture, and even as a church culture, that we really get this. So let me ask you a question to help us understand it. Who knows who William Booth is? William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. Salvation Army is an amazing organization. Suzanne and I, I really seriously considered, instead of going into ministry, working for the Salvation Army, because I just love their mission of helping the most helpless in society. Um, And William Booth lived from 1829 to 1912. And the Salvation Army that he started, that continues to grow and thrive, has today become one of the largest distributors of humanitarian aid on the planet. It's a Christian organization. He died over 100 years ago. William Booth looked at our day. He prophetically looked at the future, at our time, and he made a prediction. I want you to put the prediction up on there. This is what William Booth, 100 years ago, looking at our culture, said. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, heaven without hell. And the one line I want us to focus on relating to the kingdom of God is this line, Christianity without Christ. In other words, he could have said it this way, People want the benefits of the kingdom without the king. See, Booth looked at our time and he predicted something that others couldn't even conceive could happen because they could not see our culture going down the the tubes as fast as it has. That people would say they were Christian without the lordship of Christ. That there would be a kingdom without a king. And Booth was right. What he saw was a post-Christian Western world that has become so individualistic that it, would, that it would want the good things of the kingdom. It wants the good things of the kingdom without coming under the lordship of the king. And that's exactly what I believe we are experiencing in our day, in our culture today. You see, people want the goodness of Jesus' kingdom. They just don't know that's what it is. 
Let me explain. All the social justice issues, and their social justice, um, Souls for Jesus is a social justice issue. It's not right, it's not just for people in Africa to not have shoes. And, it's, and we have closets full, right? That's called social justice. There's all kinds of social justice. Matter of fact, the world is filled, you know, buy my shirt, my T-shirt for $47, and I'll give $4 to clean up water, you know, wells somewhere. It's a social justice. Not bad. It's a social justice issue. And our culture today is obsessed with social justice issues. Women's rights is a social justice issue. Care for the poor. Care for immigrants. Medical care so that everybody has medical care. Um, Racial reconciliation. These are all social justice issues. Want me to tell you a little secret? That that people who, are, who want the kingdom without the king don't understand? All of those are kingdom of God issues. All of these are kingdom issues. All of these have arisen as God's love has influenced mankind to bless and care for the least of these. Why did William Booth start the Salvation Army? And it's become one of the largest distributors, distributors of humanitarian aid today. Why? Because a Christian man was compelled by God to do something to help the poor. How come um, women have rights when in most cultures they don't? In America they have so much. Why? Where did that start before America? It started with this crazy idea that the Apostle Paul says about God in the, when, when, when he's describing what happens in Christ in Ephesians and many other places and he says this, in Christ... There are no Jews nor Greeks. Male nor female, bond nor free. And they all looked at each other and said, this guy's nuts. He's saying women are equal to men. And that's exactly what he says when he talks about marriage. Consider them joint heirs in marriage. And the guys, because that culture is always dominated, might makes right. So men are stronger. They dominate women. The, the genesis of women's rights is Christianity. How about caring for, for the poor? All things. God, back thousands of years ago, says to the Jews, when you're, when you're harvesting your fields, leave gleanings on the edges. No other religion in the history of the world does that. No other political system in the world does that. No one else cares for the most needy and the most poor throughout all of history. All of the attempts to help people like that, social justice issues, all have their roots in, in Judeo-Christian teachings and beliefs. It's all kingdom issues. It's all, that's all Christian. It's all kingdom of God stuff. No other religion. There's not one. I challenge you to find one other religion that at its core is based on love. Only Christianity is. It's based on love. Christianity, Judeo-Christianity. Judeo and Christian. Christian Jewish and Christian. Better way to say it. No other religion has a religion of love, a religion of helping the poor. Um, I'm sorry, and I'm, I'm trying to be degrading someone here, but if you believe Islam is a gospel, is a, is a religion of peace, you're believing a lie. Because the heart of it is to say, kill the infidels if you don't, if you don't agree. They say you don't believe long Lord. Christianity says, Pray for your enemies and forgive those who persecute you. The exact opposite. 
The ones who champion world peace are Christians. Even people who don't realize it's Christian's belief, Christian belief that they're believing in, it's all the result of the residue of Christianity and the influence on Christianity on culture around the world. But we're living in a day when people have forgotten that all these things have arisen out of the kingdom of God, out of the influence of Christ by the Spirit across mankind for, for, for thousands of years. And now there are many who value the kingdom values, but reject the king. They reject Jesus. And that's what Booth saw coming. That's what we are experiencing today. And church, I need to tell you the truth. Valuing the values of the kingdom, social justice, is wonderful, but it's empty without the king. If Souls for Jesus was simply giving shoes to people, I wouldn't have let, I would say good, good, good cause, but we're not going to promote it in church. But if Souls for Jesus is giving shoes to people as an opportunity to tell them about the king, I'm all in. You see, man was made with a need, made by God, created by God with a need for transcendence, a need to connect with the king of kings, to live under the rule and reign of God and all the doing good in the world without the king will never, can never satisfy the heart of mankind, nor will it really change the world. Shoes alone will not change the world. But shoes is an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus can change the world. Helping the hurting and abuse is good, but humanity needs more. It needs to be reconciled with the king. And our doing good, going in a little while, we're going to the, to the gathering. Matter of fact, the, Stephanie's running the gathering. She'd come to me today and said, don't announce the gathering because we have too many people. There's a limit. Like we have maxed out the amount of people that can go to the gathering. That's wonderful, but what do we do? We do it in the name of Jesus. We go help the most needy with an organization that is doing it to say, and we do this because Jesus loves you. Our doing good must be paired with introducing people to the king of glory, to Jesus. And church, this has huge implications here for every one of us who claims that Jesus is their Lord and their king. They say, we say we're Christ followers. The implication is this. Are we following him as our king? Do we do what he says? Do we, even when it's difficult, when it makes no sense because it's going against what we've been taught from our culture our whole lives, forgive, love, give, all those things that go against the culture around us, do we say yes to those, God help me to do them, or we just go, no, I'm just going to live like I've always lived before I knew anything about Jesus? Do we make our decisions based on our own reasoning alone? Hey, it's good business, just good business sense to do this. Do we make our, our decisions on just our simple Forbes-constructed reasoning alone or by the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God? Remember, Booth was talking about the church when he wrote that. He wasn't talking about the world. He was talking about the church. Are we just wanting the good things of the kingdom without living in surrender under the kingdom rule and reign of God? There's an old saying. I haven't heard it for a long time because it's very unpopular. It says this. It used to be on bumper stickers. You can't say, no, Lord. 
you can't say, no, Lord. Because if someone is your Lord, you don't have the right to say no. You can only say, yes, Lord. When the Lord says to do something or asks you to do something, you say yes. Why? Because he's Lord and King, and you and I are not. It's impossible to say Jesus is Lord and King and then refuse to follow him as he leads and instructs. If we say no, then he is not Lord. We're putting the umbrella over there. If we're going to be his followers, we live under the umbrella. So I just think what I want us to do as we close today, not in a negative way at all, because today is, this, is, this is just life and goodness. This is the life of blessing. This is laying in the hammock or in the, in the beach chair under the umbrella is what God offers to us. But we have to ask ourselves a question. We have to think about it. Who are we following? Are we following our culture or are we following Jesus? Because it's getting harder and harder and harder to do that, especially in a day when the culture as a whole is, is celebrating the good things of the kingdom, social justice, but they're, they're rejecting the king. So you can spend your whole life being a do-gooder and not realize you're missing the point of the whole thing. So the question we need to ask ourselves is who is the king of our lives? So let's end by just thinking about that. Let's welcome Jesus as king. Let's tell him that we want to follow him. Let's rest under his rule and care. The worship team is going to be coming. And as they're coming, and we're going to sing a song as a way of just of worship and of, of surrender. I want us to use this time to just say, Jesus, where am I at? You know, Lent is about seriousness. Not about negativity, it's about seriousness. It's about taking serious action in my life to make sure I'm living the best way following Jesus. And that's what this is all about today. Now before they pray, or before they sing rather, let me ask you a question. Maybe you're here today and you've never really said yes to Jesus. You've lived your life you're seeing this. This is what you're seeing. You're seeing somebody live like this. And you're, you're my prop. Stand right there. Look at your good-looking dad. You're living your life seeing somebody live like this. And you're going, ain't that great? That's awesome. I wish I had what you had. You're living like that. You're, you're getting close. You're saying, you know what? I really like this. I'm actually feeling some blessing just by association with somebody living in the kingdom. But you've, done, you've not done that yet. Today, you can do that. You can say yes to Jesus. You can sit down before I embarrass you. It's a transaction. And the reason I want to make that point clear is that's become less and less and less clear and more and more and more muddy in our culture. There's been a huge uprise in the church world for a number of years now saying, I don't believe in conversion theology. The Bible says you must be born again. 
I challenge you if you don't believe that every time it talks about living under the grace of God, look for all the places it says, and you must receive it, you must believe it, you must accept it. Every time they're done in tandem. And you have to say yes to Jesus. I'm not saying you haven't been to church every day of your life for the last hundred years. You can go to church every day because you want to be standing there because you like, you like to feel some of the blessing of the persons living under the kingdom. But I'm telling you, if you said yes to God, and the only one who knows that is you. And I want you to have the chance to say yes. I don't care if you're a big, tough man or you're whatever. An old, I won't say young, a young kid. There comes a point where you have to honestly say yes to Jesus if it's going to make any effect in your life. Otherwise, you just sit on the outside and you look at it and you go, yeah, it's kind of cool. But then you're always living your own way and you're never receiving the blessing of the kingdom. And so you kind of say this after a while. It's not really real. The reason you don't know it's real is because you're not experiencing it because you're standing looking at it instead of being in the blessing of God. So pray with me. Father, this is just a metaphor, a picture that you're trying to paint, I think you're trying to paint, I'm doing my best to paint, of what it means to, be, what it means to live under the rule and reign of the king. And Lord, for everybody in this place today, I pray that it will become crystal clear in our minds that when we think about our life, in some ways now our, our picture might be changed and we'll understand we're living under this rule and reign of the kingdom. Then we have that choice. But Lord, we also have the choice to say no. And you give us that free will and you, you do it. You still love us, but you give us the choice to say no. church with their heads bowed and their eyes closed today. No one looking around. I just want to ask you a question. If you've been standing on the outside, right on the edge, maybe because of a spouse or because of a friend or maybe you're a child looking at your parents and you're seeing them live in the kingdom and you're just on the outside, maybe no one else even knows you're on the outside, but you know in your heart you've never really said you're all in. That transaction hasn't happened where you stop living your way and you said no matter what it takes no matter what it is I'm going to follow Jesus I'm going to do it his way I'm not sure what that it's going to lead to but I'm going to say you are king and I am not but today you're ready to say I want to say yes to Jesus no one's looking around their heads are bowed their eyes are closed if that's you I want you to do something bold between me and you and God and I won't embarrass you and I won't call you out and I won't tell anybody you did it I want you to raise up your hand and say, Pastor Mark, I want to say yes to Jesus today. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Put your hand down over my, my left. Anybody else? The center, over to my right. We're going to pray, church. Those of you who raised your hands this morning, who that picture maybe became a little clearer, I want you to pray this. There's nothing magical about words we pray. We're just talking to God who's here by His Spirit. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. And you're just going to pray along with us. And you're going to say, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. So whole church, I want the whole church to pray. Let's pray this way. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to my world and for giving your life in place of mine. I know I'm guilty and there's nothing I can do about it. 
but you can and you have. So today, I want to come under the rule of your kingdom. Today, I ask you to be the Lord of my life. On this day, I switch positions and I come under your love and your grace. And so from this day forward, I want to walk with you. I trust you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that this morning, there's something I'd like you to do. Before the sun goes down tonight, I want you to tell somebody, call them on the phone or whatever, see them face to face. I want you to tell somebody that you know is a follower of Jesus. They live under the umbrella. I want you to tell somebody that you said yes to Jesus today. That's for a couple reasons. Number one, it just cements it in your life. Because the devil's going to lie to you and he's going to say, he's going to whisper in your ear and go, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's not nonsense. It changed my life. It changed the lives of, of, of hundreds of people in this room. Second reason is, it's going to tell, help the, some, another person who's a follower of Jesus to, to be available to help you. Because Christianity is never a solo sport. Christianity is only always about community. We do this together. God did not leave a book when he, when he left this world. What did he leave? He left a community. He did not leave a book. He didn't leave this book. He didn't write this book. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, people for, for decades later wrote this down, and for the first half, for thousands of years before that, wrote these words down. He did, Jesus didn't leave a book. He left a community. He left a church. So we can do this together. So you tell somebody that you know serves Jesus, that you've said yes to Jesus, they want to help you. Let's stand this morning. I know I've gone longer than normal. Our kids' church people are wondering where in the world you are. That's okay. But don't do it very often. I think God had something he wanted to accomplish in this place today. I'm just going to pray this, pray a blessing over our church. Then the worship team is going to sing. Invite you to come find a place of prayer. Spend some time just saying in your own mind, am I all in with Jesus? When you feel dismissed, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary and have a wonderful day living under the rule and reign of King Jesus. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.